Welcome back. We hope you've been behaving yourself. This is Mary Lewis. And this is Jackie Noto. Welcome to Behave Yourself, a podcast on BA without the BS. Marigold, what is your character this week? From Stevie to Alexis, how are you doing? My character this week is Jess from New Girl, one of my favorite shows, one of my comfort shows. It's one of those shows where I've probably watched 10 times and I'm not sick of it yet, which is impressive. I was thinking about um, Jess and just like her happy, anxious energy that sometimes happens with like the chaotic way she lives her life occasionally. And that is how I've been living my life. It's not been intentional, but I received a grant check, which is amazing from FIT. And then I came home and I had another check that I was mobile depositing and I accidentally shredded the check that I got. And it was a large sum of money and it like happened. I like put it in the envelope, thought it was for the other check that I had already deposited and shredded it. And then I went to deposit this one and I didn't have it. And I was like, this is not real. This is a joke. This is not real. I did not just do that. Like it was like instantly, as soon as the shredder was done, I was like, no. So I like picked apart the shredder pieces was in fact, I did shred it. They are giving me a new one, which is great. But like, why? why? Like I just did it too quickly, like very anxious, chaotic energy, like coming into the start of the semester. Um, And I went to the dermatologist because I was freaking out about this mole that I had that I've had since birth. And I was like, I think it's changing colors. I don't know what's happening. Like, it's probably nothing, but it's giving me a lot of anxiety. And my dermatologist could tell, like, I was just, I was going off the ledge of this one spot. And she was like, I really don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I can see that you're really, really stressed about this. So let's just take it off right now. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, right now. And like, before I could say anything, she's got me lying back. She puts the needle numbing in me. I feel nothing. She's like, yeah. And she's like, tell me about, and we were talking about Greenville because you know it just happens and so I was talking to her about Greenville and it was done and she's like okay you're done and I was like wow like I'm talking about a compassionate worker yeah she was like it's okay we can take it off she's sending it to pathology and they'll call me but she's like I really don't think there's anything wrong but she could just tell and so that's kind of like the energy I've been giving this week as I'm trying to get back into the semester um it's not necessarily a place I'm like striving to be but it's just where I am. When you shared your shredding the paper check story, all I can think about is the um, episode of That's So Raven. I don't know if you ever watched it as a kid. That's So Raven was my favorite show as a kid. She shreds the documents on accident. So her whole like loft (laughs) has all the pieces hanging and she's trying to tape it all back together. Oh, that's all I could think of is like you like trying to piece the pieces of the check back together. And like, that's so ravening it up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's our Chelsea would uh, be another synonymous character from that's a Raven that I, that's like, I'm in, I'm in that era right now and I'm just accepting it. Have you ever watched their adult version? I haven't, but I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I should watch like the adult iCarly adult. That's so Raven because I did love those shows as a little kid. Yeah, I was like a huge, I was a That's a Raven stan. Like, I don't remember watching any other show. The only thing that would be higher for me than That's So Raven as a kid would have been uh, Lizzie McGuire. <gasps> yes. But I already had my adult dose of that because she's on How I Met Your Father. She's the main character. Oh, cool. So I'm like, this is her grown up. I'm just going to pretend this is yeah. Lizzie McGuire grown up. Yeah. Aww. Which is nice too, because it's not like through one of those 
family channels so it is more of like what it would be like for Lily McGuire to be grown up but yeah, yeah. love it Ooh, gotta That's- ask who's your favorite character from new girl Schmidt love a good Schmidt yeah I was always like a Nick stan and yeah. I still am I still love Nick but Schmidt is just so off the cuff like obsessed <laughs> He makes me laugh the most. It's like, that's kind of my default character that I relate to slash like the most, like Monica from Friends, Schmidt from New Girl. Like that's very much the pattern. Speaking of characters, how are you? What is your character of the week this week, Jackie? I'm going to go a little fun here. And I'm going to say this week, I am Louise from Bob's Burgers. Louise is the youngest child of like the family dynamic in Bob's Burgers. It's a adult cartoon that goes up each week. Um, So Louise is just kind of like this hellfire and she is not rule governed. She does what she wants when she wants to do it. She comes up with like these grand plans and then everyone else just has to go along for the ride. And that's prioritizing me prioritizing the work that I need to get done prioritizing the stuff that I need and other people can just follow along with my plans or they're not invited to my plans and that's that (laughs) it sounds like short but like that's the mindset I need to be in for this year to get myself to where I want to be Uh, I'm not good at putting myself first and Louise is very good at putting her wants first so I'm trying to kind of emulate that kind of a vibe, but she also like, she just has fun in everything she does. So I want to be putting myself first, meeting the goals that I want to meet, but having a good time. I think that's such a perfect balance and nobody's going to put yourself first other than yourself. So absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that's my gal. Nice. Something that might surprise you is I have been listening to the new Nikki album. I, something that might surprise you is I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, <gasps> <laughs> Girl, like I told you the work I just dove into yesterday, I've been trying to like get back on my ball. Are you in full <laughs> work mode right now? Kinda. Um. So like I'm also ha- in the training part of onboarding as a new role, even though it's the same job I've had. Mm-hmm. So I'm like doing that. And then this week for orientation, so general this semester, I'm teaching nine classes a week. Holy frick. Yeah. And this week for orientation, I took on like five more classes just for the orientation week because anyone can cover it because you don't need to know the content. You're just talking about what's the expectations in the class. Just okay. to get a little extra dough after the holidays back in my pockets. That's so smart. That is ingenious because it's not long term. It's just for a little bit of time. Yeah. That's great. I'm like, well, if I can sub five classes this week, I can afford this thing that I wasn't sure if I wanted to get or not. So it yeah. just works out. As someone who like, so the one thing I'm not contingency formed on is still money. So when I say I was like always rule governed, I'm still rule governed when it comes to money. I can't Mm -hmm. spend money on this until I've earned this money for this. Mm -hmm. My problem was with like specifically media. So like TV, movies, books, ticky talky. So, but yeah. Wonderful. That's my wreck of this week. Actually, you can get a free book if you have a Kindle. 
or Amazon Prime, like and or each month. That's amazing. Dude, I'm so pumped for my recommendation because it's such common sense and I'm sure that you don't do it either. No, I love that. I don't. I need to do it more. Well, that's the realization I had with this training document. Yeah. He was like, when do you think you could have this done by? And I said, what? well, when would you like it done by? Yeah. And he said, you know, and this was like last Friday. And he was like, if you can have it done, I could have it done in two days. He didn't want it done in two days. He wanted it done by next Thursday. Yeah. So asking him what deadline he wanted instead of offering one, like viewing it more as like a negotiation. Because if someone says a deadline that's too short, you can still say, hey, I'm not sure if I can meet this deadline but I can meet this deadline. Like it can go back and forth instead of you being like, here's the bare minimum amount of time I need to complete this project. If I put all my effort and work into this project only. Your boss told me this. And I was, I was like, why have I not thought of this? Like, why does it, like this make sense? They were saying that if you don't, I think maybe I'm, I might've said this on the previous podcast. I'm not sure. But if you don't tell your boss or the person that you're making something for, like creating a deliverable working for whatever on a project for, if you don't say like, oh, I don't have time for that. Or, oh, I can't do that today, but I can do it next week. They are not going to know. So like you, like it's not fully on the responsibility of the person in the power dynamic, which we've talked about at length. Like obviously there are circumstances where people expect you to do certain things, especially in an academic setting. But I think you can go like a little too far off on that spectrum. Like you, you are allowed to say also, sometimes that's the only way the person who is like telling you or asking you to do something is going to know. And they're just going to keep asking you and keep telling you to do something. So like there is a small, there are circumstances and there is a part of, that that falls on the responsibility of the person actually like being asked to do the work you have to be able to say which i don't do which is such a good skill of just saying like oh i can't do that today i can do it next week or like it'll take me a month to do instead of like being like um i can probably get it done in two weeks if i you know work on it for 300 hours a day like no they don't they don't care like it it doesn't matter and I feel like this loops beautifully right back to that statement I shared, maybe one of our first episodes that my mom always told me growing up, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that's something I try to remember in this. Like if I need extra time to work on this, that's fine because yeah. I'm in the 20% that's doing 80%. It's okay. Yeah. So that's my rec this week. Instead of offering your own timeline, ask them when they want it done by. It makes it so much easier. Jackie, it looks like you have a very important announcement in our notes, but that's all I see. Would you care to elaborate? I would love to. I would love to. So ladies and gentlemen, and they thems, Jackie kind of set a goal for Mary and Jackie that we didn't share with you, but it was something that I wanted us to hit. Uh, I am in charge of the content for the Instagram account and I've and been trying to build that up by having like consistent posts and yada, yada, yada. So one of my goals, since we just started this podcast in the past year, literally half a year, we started in like May, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So since we only started in May, I was like, how cool would it be if we could hit 200 followers on Instagram before the new year? Super and cool. we did. Oh my gosh. I was like sitting at my dad's house in Chicago, like on the floor. And I opened up the Instagram and I was like, oh my God. And he was like, what? And I was like, our podcast, we have 200 followers on Instagram. And he was like, that's like, my dad does not listen to the podcast, but is very like 
into us doing it and like our successes. And while he doesn't listen to it, he tells other people to listen to it. So whenever we have like successes or when there's like a really cool uh, post that I'm proud of that I want to share, he always like hypes me up about it. So it was really cute. One, not only for us to hit that mark, which is amazing, but two, that I got to share that with my dad, who's been like a pretty adamant supporter since we first started. Yeah, that's incredible. Wahoo. That's our big announcement. Thanks for following us. Thanks for listening and chit-chatting with us. We appreciate it. Do you see me being mean mugged in the background here? I literally do. Like he's like demanding something. He wants to go back OUT. Oh, even though we were OUT right before this podcast. Well, of course. Did I ever hear you say something about him in a meeting that I hopped in late to? Is he okay? Yeah, he's fine now. He cut open his paws on a walk. Oh my frick. Both like multiple? Yeah, his front two paws. Um, and he's fine. They're healing great. But it was one of those scenarios where, you know how like a skinned knee is? Where Where when you skin your knee, you're like, wow, this is a big area Uh and it's bleeding, but like, it's not deep. Yeah. But feels fine. Yeah. For him, it was the equivalent of a skin knee on his paws. Like, but when it happened, all I could see was how big it was. So I didn't know how deep it was. Right. So I put like gauze on his paws and I wrapped him and the whole first day he's walking around angry at me because he's got wrapped paws. But like not a risk I'm taking. So we no. weren't going on walks and it worked out great because we had like a flood here anyways. Oh, geez. Um, so when I took off the wraps, I could tell it was literally like a skid knee depth. Right. So now he's doing fine and he's like taking, I just don't want to sound like I'm not taking care of my dog, but he's like taking care of them himself. And like yeah. his tongue is meant to clean wounds like this. So I'm kind of letting him take control because yeah. it isn't a severe wound. Right. It's just, we came back and two of his paws were bleeding. And I was like, what? Do you know how- like how it happened? Well, so the problem with my dog is he is a beefy boy. So when he gets hurt, he just doesn't react. Like if another dog scratches him and it's bleeding, I don't know until it heals because mm-hmm. of how dark his coat is and he just doesn't respond. Yeah. So I don't know when it happened on our walk. I don't know where it happened on our walk. I just know that it happened because right. I didn't literally, he's like trotting around. We're passing other people. He's wagging his whole tail, like jumping up and down, all happy to see them. He obviously doesn't jump when he does see them, right? When we're actually next to them, he like saw another dog was hanging out with the other dog for like a minute while I talked to the owner. Yeah. So he's engaging in all these normal behaviors. So I didn't know until we got up to the top of the stairs and I had him like sit and wait so I could wipe off my feet. And then I look behind him and I just see like little drops all the way down. And I was like, you've been like, how long of this have you been hurt for? Yeah. You didn't tell me like not even like a paw lifted up, not even like a nothing. Wow. Like, cause and my first thought was like, he doesn't like water. No. Yeah. Which like, it is very possible. Cause people do like, I, it pisses me off, but like people will shatter glass on the ground and not take care of it. Yeah. But then he doesn't like water. So I'm here like, right. With a mini bowl flushing out his paws. And he's like, this is the worst experience I've ever had in my <laughs> entire life. And I'm like, shut, shut up. Like, you know, I have to do this. I have yeah. to clean out these wounds. I don't know if there is small pieces of glass mm-hmm. in it, which is why I didn't just like spray it and wipe it. I'm like, if there is tiny pieces, like I need to get this out of here because yeah. at the time I didn't know how shallow it was. Right. But yeah, he's doing all, all fine now. 
is my new rug that he's obsessed with. So that's really sweet. Should we dive into the tea? Absolutely. Wonderful. What topic are we spilling it on today? Today, Jackie had this most, the most amazing insight a few months ago. And I was like, yeah, we're doing a podcast on that about the, the disconnects that people seem to see and people seem to have between burnout, the effects that it has, and then the outcome that is like very delayed, which is turnover. So in behavior analytic literature, there are luckily now a few articles on burnout among behavior analysts. And there are also several articles on turnover in behavior analysis and among behavior techs, among BCBAs, but they don't really overlap. And they are very much connected, which Jackie came up with the term burnover. Like it, it is a direct relation. Like that is what happens. And there's very much a cycle of how it occurs And there have been hints in the literature and like people talking about it, but nobody has explicitly like made the connection. And we thought it would be a fun and interesting way to kind of explain and talk through what we've seen in terms of how that system works. So I know we've talked about burnout before, but could you just give us like a quick little def? Burnout consists of three major factors. And these are like psychology says this. This is not just behavior analysts just saying whatever they want. This is validated by psychologists in the ICD-11, which is under the APA, aka it's official. The first characteristic component is physical and mental exhaustion. Like you literally cannot do the tasks that you were able to do. The second is depersonalization, which is another word of saying like dissociating at the wrong times like you were able to provide empathy for a parent or for a client and you're in that same situation and you feel as though you can't just like a wall hits and you're like whoa where did my people skills go and then you blame yourself but it's really not it's not your fault the third component of burnout is lack of personal accomplishment which just means that the reason you got into the field or the reason you're doing that work had like you have a purpose, you have a why and you forget it. You're like, mm, I don't need to do this work. It doesn't really matter. And those are components of occupational, aka workplace burnout. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, burnout is actually something I talk about each orientation because I go through all of my like research topics and burnout's obviously going to be one of them. And something that I don't know if I've told you about before, Mary, but whenever I open a class, I tell all my students that when they're one of my students, they have a side assignment. They don't earn points for doing it. They don't lose points if they don't, but I do check in on it each week. Every student in any one of my classes has the side assignment that they are supposed to engage in 30 minutes of self-care each week to help in mitigating burnout. And unfortunately, You know, as we've talked about before, burnout is really prevalent in the, in any health and human service setting, even more prevalent in behavior analysis. Why? We're not only doing like physical and mental labor, but I think we also engage in emotional labor, which is something that is my stance, not something I'm like pulling from an article, but I think that not only doing what your job requires, but then also having to have feelings behind it, be an empathetic person behind it leads to more of that drain because you're continually pouring out of your cup. So if we're not taking time to refill those cups, which we talk about each week with our hydration aspect, we're not going to have anything left 
to pour. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be as effective with our clients as we'd like to be. We're not going to be as kind with others as we would like to be because we just don't have it left. We've used all of our spoons. Have you ever heard the spoons analogy? No. So it's like each day you only have a certain amount of spoons. And when you have to engage in this behavior, that is that costs you three spoons. And then this costs you two spoons. And then this costs you one spoon. And then if you use all your spoons, you don't have any spoons left to give. You are out of spoons. So when you're burning the candle, I'm using so many analogies here, but when you're unit burning the candle at both ends, there's not going to be any wax left. You need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself in order to keep doing the work that you care about to help the clients and the families that you care about. But unfortunately, which I know Mary's going to get all up into, unfortunately, we often view this as a direct worker problem. We view this as an individual problem when the reality is our system. If we are having high rates of burnout across people in behavior analysis, that denotes to me that we need to alter our systems. We need a shift or a change in culture because we must be, whether it's overtly or inadvertently, reinforcing overworking ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And two things, I'm learning a lot, which we've always been advocates for interdisciplinary collaboration, but I'm learning a lot more about the psychology and the, um, what is it? Neuro, neuro science. Yeah. And neuroscience in terms of like fear and trauma, I'm reading, it'll take me like two years to get through because it's like, it reads like a textbook, but I'm reading the body keeps score, which is about how like you're, it's about trauma. Mm -hmm. And it further signifies my theory about um, students and how like if they're scared or like really anxious or thrown off, like they lose all their brain cells. And I experienced the same thing as a, as someone in school, like ages four to 18, like my brain was like off because I was just so scared. And you having the self-care assignment, I think is so important because I was literally thinking about starting my class with just like a very quick um, parasympathetic technique. You just take like three belly breaths and that's it. Like it's nothing, it's nothing like super complex, but starting off my class in a way that's like, we're, we are automatically doing something where you're engaging your breathing, engaging your senses, doing something to calm your body down because otherwise your brain will not work in the ways that you need it to. Like, it's not you. It's not like, Oh, I just have to work harder. I just have to focus more. No, it's your literal brain trying to protect you. And then you're not able to be completely focused. So how that relates to burnout is that I think people are really focused on the burnout issue in terms of not losing staff and like having client census maintained and then focusing on the turnover issue, looking at key performance indicators for how the company's doing, but it doesn't seem like they are recognizing or taking actionable steps towards advocating for burnt out employees to reduce to reduce turnover and it seems like system wide that is what would need to happen in a perfect world you have to cater to the needs and resources of the healthcare providers in order for them to be humans and do their job. Otherwise, they're going to turn into robots. And as Jackie has shared previously on the podcast, while they can still, quote, do their job technically, that rapport building could be life-saving in ways that we don't really understand. And so it's really important to have that. 
I love that you're thinking about doing that rapport building at the start of class. That's definitely the check-in I was talking about. We don't do parasympathetic breathing, but I think that's a cool idea. I check in and say like, is there anything you're proud of this past week? How have you been taking care of yourself? And honestly, it takes like two, three minutes when most, well, not most students, but when many students are a couple minutes late logging into class anyway, where I would be pausing to enter their grades anyway. And it just shows, it's one of my like priorities as an instructor is I want my students to know that I see them as humans first right? and taking that two minutes to check in with them and show them that I care about them and show your students that you care about your students. I really do think affects not only their participation in class, but their grades in class because they're not feeling like they're in that continual fight or flight. So with the resources part that Mary was just talking about, there's actually an article that came out in 2015 by Kazemi et al., and they surveyed 96 BTs at different ABA companies, asking them not only about their organization, but their openness to quitting, which is an indicator of quitting in the future. The main four variables that came up as to why people might quit were training, supervision, pay, and the job itself. So obviously, right, pay is going to be in there. We are a capitalistic society. But when you look at the first two of those listed, training, and supervision. Yeah. Our employees don't feel that they're being supported. They don't feel that they're set up for success. If one of the reasons that you're willing to quit is because you haven't received enough training, you haven't received enough supervision, to me, that is a huge red flag if we're not setting us up for success. And then the last one here, the job itself, this is my anecdotal statement here, my opinion. But I imagine when someone says the job is the reason why I would quit, it's not because they don't like working with kids. It's not because they don't like doing the work that they're doing. It's because they're taking that work home every night. Mm -hmm. It's because they're answering emails at midnight. It's because they don't ever get a break because of the type of job or intensity of the job it is. So when we're looking at actual individuals in the field being pulled as to why they are thinking about leaving, which is what turnover is. Their identifiers are things that we can change in our systems. And really all they're saying is I'm not feeling supported here. Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling supported in what I needed to know before I did the job. I'm not feeling supported on an ongoing basis. I'm not feeling supported financially. And I'm not feeling supported in this career path that I'm looking towards. Yes. And one of the most popular burnout articles is by Plant of You and colleagues. And he says well, the research says that he wrote that social support, even perceived social support, is one of the most important protective factors to mitigate burnout, aka even though this job is really hard, you might experience some symptoms of burnout, your life will be stressful, you are doing amazing work, and it is very challenging. There are ways to mitigate or recover from those really hard, really stressful days, and his research shows that the main way is social support, which... I would like to talk to the business owners and say, how are you losing? Like, you're not going to lose a million dollars by providing more social support. I know with supervision and stuff, it's way more complex, but. And that's the mind boggling thing. When we talk about turnover, it seems like this abstract concept. Let's put it into some numbers here for you. You're saying it's not going to cost millions of dollars to have more support. You know, what is going to cost a bunch of money replacing the person who leaves. So Sunberg et al. in 2016 was looking at the average costs of turnover, right? For the behavior technician level, 
the cost per turnover is about $5,000 because you have to retrain someone. You have to go through all these steps. For the BCBA level, the cost of turnover can be 30% to 100% of the BCBA's yearly salary. So the thing that just blows my mind when it comes to turnover is I think companies would literally be saving money if they had more resources, more support for their employees, because the cost of retraining someone, of finding someone, of having them work with your company is substantial. It's not a couple hundred dollars. We're talking in thousands here, tens of thousands here. And that's a big impact for a company and specifically for a small business. A lot of our clinics are on a smaller scale. We don't really, there are a couple of clinics that are like chains, right? We know the chains of clinics, but a lot of clinics are solo. This is the only clinic that they have. So taking a hit of $5,000 for a BT, taking the hit of $60,000 to replace a BCBA, that's really going to impact bottom line. Yeah. And it seems as though the people who are making the decisions about and looking at the turnover numbers and how we need to have more supervision and we need to have more billable time and we don't have the ability to pay for indirect time where RBTs and BCBAs are not billing are not the same people that are experiencing and indirectly observing the real symptoms of burnout when it is solely focused on making money or like focused on the company's goals. It is a company though. There, there. I think there's a very fine line. I'm not an expert on the clinical side nor on the business side, but it really does seem like if you strictly focus on the business aspects and how important it is to maintain low levels of turnover, have people staying in the company for a long time, it would make sense to have more supervision and barely any indirect time and not paying employees to you know, uh, do indirect um, non-billable tasks. But then if you look at the clinical side, it's almost completely opposite, but at some point the company does need to make money. So I think, I think we're just, I think we're learning and I hope we'll evolve into creating a more, a system that more caters to RBTs and BCBAs, but that still is able to support the company and allow the organization to maintain what it needs to maintain. There are just a few of those gaps that we're missing that are leading to and could be the result of burnout and then people leave the field forever and they don't want to come back. They say bye. And it's been, at least for me, heartbreaking because I've seen some people that, you know, I went to my master's program with who loved behavior analysis. Like they ate, slept, breathed behavior analysis and seeing them state I'm leaving the field because I am burnt out. I'm leaving the field because I can't handle this anymore because I'm not feeling supported. Losing the people who care. We're losing the people who are working super hard and compassionate for their clients because they can't handle it without having the resources and the support to keep doing the work that they're doing. So it's not just like this hypothetical that, you know, you leave one job at an behavior analysis clinic, and you're going to another job at a behavior analysis clinic. The burnout in our field is to the extent that people are choosing to leave the field after they have higher level educational degrees mm -hmm. in this field, which to me should be like uh, an ambulance fire flag. truck red yeah. level flag. Yeah. So sad. It is really sad, but it makes a lot of sense. It does. It does. 
Yeah, I think that would be a really good um, way to like end the point that we're making, which is like, these are all related. And if you are only focused on turnover or only focused on RBT and BCBA burnout, you're going to miss it. And it seems like the way people are talking about it, they're only focusing on one thing, but we're proposing the idea of burnover, which is that they're connected and it's in a cyclical pattern. And so in order for this to happen, it would be this ratio that you are proposing. Beautiful. So let's get into it then. So if we want to talk about how to actually change this, right? We know that burnout and turnover go hand in hand, i.e. burnover. Mm-hmm. How are we going to approach this? Behavior analysis, baby. We know it works. We know it works in systems. Let's apply it. Yeah. So we know we're working towards results, but in that OBM lens, we're not just supposed to go towards results. We're supposed to go towards behaviors that lead to those results. So let's say as a company... We're looking to decrease burnout, decrease turnover, and increase the amount of money in our company. Yeah. To get these results, we're going to have to go through the employees and the behavior that those employees need to do for change. When I say employee, I'm not just talking the direct worker. I'm talking everyone from the direct worker to the CEO. What behaviors are needed across these individuals for that shift? So maybe something like leaving work on time only taking an acceptable amount of work, taking work in your appropriate scope. We work to impact these behaviors through the same contingencies we always use, antecedents and consequences to increase the likelihood of the behaviors we want to see and decrease the likelihood of the behaviors we don't want to see. This is where I was talking earlier where we inadvertently reinforce behaviors we don't want. I think a prime example of this arises When it comes to someone getting work done at home, as a business, you're like, oh, this is great. You're doing extra work. It's off the clock. We're set up for success. But long-term, that employee is going to get burnt out. That employee might leave the company. That employee might not feel supported. So instead of reinforcing that behavior, that behavior should be a no-no. We should not be answering work emails from home. We should not be skipping our lunch break to continue working. We should not be taking on clients out of scope just because the clinic asks us to. And then by affecting those behaviors, we can impact the results that we're looking at. So we can't just say, we need to decrease turnover. We need, or sorry, yeah, turnover. We need to decrease burnout. We need to talk about not only the specific behaviors we're looking for, but ensuring that we're reinforcing the behaviors that are going to set up our employees and our company for success in the long term and not reinforcing the behaviors that only help in the short term. Yes, I think that is the best behavior analytic explanation. A non-behavior analytic thought that I have as you were talking about this that I think could be beneficial. I'm not sure how much it would change in the immediate future, but I but I I'm just curious how much it really matters in terms of like macro contingencies and cultural behaviors. Hello, Hercules. Hercules is like, um, I need a microphone. Pardon me. Um, for the in terms of being a generalist and looking for really, really big patterns where there's always outsiders. It seems as though, and the reason I say this is because all last year I was like working on people pleasing and like feeling like I was like setting these hard boundaries and low-key like being mean about some stuff and like feeling very harsh and like almost bragging about it to my therapist last week. And she was like, you are doing so much people pleasing right now about a specific situation. She's like, this is like 
you are you are fully people pleasing and i was like what so we're in a fishbowl like we don't know what we don't know and it seems me generalizing a lot of people that are rbts and bcbas and are working in industry in this industry of helping individuals with autism or behavior analysts in general come from this caring purposeful professional values place helping professions there's all types of stereotypes on like why people get into health health professions the nature and nurture behind it and I would argue that a lot of individuals who are in our field have those people-pleasing tendencies or are just unaware that some things that are being asked, like the the hours of supervision per day, like some of these things, I'm like, this would never fly in another organization. Like if you compare it, but people don't know. And then in terms of advocating for yourself, like nobody's going to say no besides you, all these things, I would be really curious to see if burnout went down and turnover decreased if we provided some of these as like professional development, maybe like CEUs and like see if and examine further if there really is these cultural behaviors of we're doing too much. Like you are setting yourself up for failure. You are going to burn out and it is the system, but also like just creating system changes and not focusing on individual humans, like what's going on in their bodies. I also don't think it's going to get us the results we want. That's why I'm so excited for the new expectation in 2026 for RBTs to have to engage in CEUs because I think, and I don't mean this in a sense of like, you don't know, like this is not us talking down. This is us saying that sometimes when you don't know what's acceptable and what's not, people can take advantage of that. A hundred percent. You don't, you haven't faced those contingencies. No one's ever sat you down and talked with you about it. So you don't know if what you're being told is correct and if you've just been gaslighting yourself or if what you're being told is a load of boo hockey. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy about these RBT new expectations that are coming up because the amount of times that I've sat with students and had ethical conversations about what's going on with them in their place of work. And to me, it's like this was a glaring red flag. And to them, they've just had a conversation where they were essentially told that their feelings were incorrect, that they were wrong, that this isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And me sitting here on the outside, I'm like, no, this is absolutely a problem. Let's talk about how to contact the ethics board. But you don't know until you experience it. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things I would kind of love to see in this realm is like a printout, maybe from the BACB, maybe from ABAI, those two main accreditors of And I know we have like the NASP guidelines for autism practitioners, but like I'm talking a two page informational item that states what's acceptable, what's not, what are the boundaries that shouldn't be crossed? What are the boundaries that are okay? Um, How long you should be staying at work? Should you be doing work at home? Just like those basic FAQs Mm -hmm. that when you first enter a company, you're like, I want to go above and beyond. I want people to like me. And then what ends up happening is you burn yourself out because you don't realize that those aren't the expectations everyone else is following. That's just what you think or what you've been told is the case. Yes. And arguably RBTs should be treated like royalty in my anecdotal experience as a biased human. That is not the case. I do think BCBAs should be given all the resources and needs that they need as well. And as I'm sure a lot of people know, that is oftentimes not the case. But I do also feel like RBTs are viewed as like uh, of lesser value due to their certification and the direct work they're doing when arguably like they are doing the hardest physical and mental labor for the longest amount of time. 
Yes, you need more education to be in that BCBA role. Yes, you need more experience and professional skills, et cetera, et cetera. But they- You're not getting punched in the face. You're not getting spit on. You're not getting bit. Like, (laughs) Yeah, like hot take, RBC should be treated like royalty. And that's all I'll say about it. And, And so should BCBAs. So let's do a little chitty chat here for our RBTs, for our BCBAs. What are some ways that we can work to set them up for success? Uh, these are some items that I pulled from Drewski's 2019 and I put them into four different categories because I think each of these categories can be a great place to start in their own right. The first one here, the environment. We know that the environment is going to affect behavior. So let's make a beneficial environment for our employees, have a positive work environment engage in those beneficial conversations. Mary and I have definitely talked about this before. When you're at work and the predominant conversations that are taking place are shit talking other technicians or talking poorly about clients, that's not going to be setting anyone up for success. Red flag. Red flag, red flag. Then, you know, boundaries, boundaries. I want boundaries to be coming from the top down, not from the bottom up. I want boundaries to be modeled by BCBAs, boundaries to be modeled by BCBADs. Because if a BCBA is sending out a work email at 10 p.m. at night, their RBTs now think, one, it's expected to respond to work emails at home, but two, that this is normal. Well, the BCBA does it, so I should be doing this. No. We need to be enforcing those work times. When you leave at the end of the day, when you're no longer getting paid, that is that. On the same note here, Supervision, we have to have it. We need supervision. We need training. It's crucial on an ongoing basis. This is not a one-off. We are continually learning, continually improving. But it makes me really sad to hear that there are scenarios where RBTs have lower compensation when they're being supervised, which no matter who you are as a human is going to punish. Yeah, it's a common thing. In smaller clinics, I'm going to cut that out. That's a thing. Like, yeah. like That makes no sense to me. It happens frequently. It's like part of the system. You're actively punishing me, engaging in this behavior. Wow. Mm -hmm. So on the same note here, support. (laughs) We got to support. Financial support is just one part. Um, Not only, you know, obviously paying your employees enough, but I know a big conversation that always comes up are those indirect hours and people aren't getting paid for indirect hours. Here's my maybe controversial stance here. If you don't want to pay someone for indirect hours, you can't expect them to do indirect work. Yep. You can't be expecting session notes. You can't be expecting them to create new stimuli Mm -hmm. because they're still working. That's still work. Even if it's not sitting with a client, I know that you want the billing from insurance. I get it. But the rest of the, it's the secondary support system that needs to take place for that primary core process to take place. Like when you think about systems, there's the primary process the secondary process. The primary process is working with that client one-on-one. The secondary process or the support process is the stuff that's needed for that primary or core process to work. It's still a part of the job. So why would we not be paying people for doing part of that job? Yeah. And like in, this is me not knowing, like not having the expertise in insurance or in billing but in a perfect world it almost seems like some type of method where you it's considered billing for like indirect like 
embedding indirect tasks into the structure because at the systems level, the insurance isn't covering it. And that's why the companies can't or don't want to pay for it. So like, that's the whole issue. And then I compare that to being like a lawyer there, they bill every what 200 seconds, and they can bill a million dollars for doing their email as they should slay. But we're not treated in that same way. And by we, I mean, in terms of clinics and like providing these services, I'm sure it's a similar way in hospitals and healthcare providers, but it like that would probably change a lot if that was valued in that same way, because you have to have the indirect in order to do the direct. Right. And I can already hear the devil's advocate in the back of my head going, well, they don't have enough jobs to do during their indirect time. They're not going to be able to, they're just going to be sitting there doing nothing after they're done with their session notes. Okay. Let's once again, look at OVM. How about we use some cross utilization? Mm-hmm. We ask them, you know, when you're done with these tasks, come check in and I can give you something else to do. Maybe it's cleaning. Maybe it's drafting an email that's going to go out to guardians to send to the boss of the company for them to review. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's creating extra stimuli. Maybe it's cutting a bunch of starbursts into force. Like whatever else is needed for the company can still be done in those indirect hours when they're done with their other job roles. It's not like when someone is done with writing a session note that they're just going to sit there and twiddle their thumbs. If you set them up for additional reinforcement for engaging in additional behaviors, they're going to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like you're only getting, you would only get paid to write a research paper, but you wouldn't get paid to do all of the reading and researching and planning and outlining. That doesn't make sense. I can't write the paper unless I've done the work beforehand. And that's how I view indirect versus direct tasks. Like you have to be able to have that prep time the decompression time, the debriefing time, the meeting time, like that just, and so that's a system. And I don't know all of, I don't know all that I don't know about that, but from what I do know, that's a huge issue. So whenever I'm talking systems, when I'm teaching students, I always like to use the example of cakes because everyone has some, some concept of how to make a cake. So to me, this would be like only paying someone when they're standing in the bakery selling the cake and not paying them for creating the cake. (laughs) Like that makes no sense. It's going to take time to crack the eggs, to bring in the flour, to bring in the butter, to bring in the vanilla, mix it all together, put it in the pan, put it in the oven. It's not just selling it to the customer that matters. We would never not pay someone for all of that prelim work. Mm -hmm. And this goes into support, right? So that's part one is that financial support, but then also supporting our employees when they are present and not expecting more of them than they're able to handle. There have been far too many instances that I've heard of from others where, you know, they're at a clinic, they're at an EIBI clinic and a client comes in who is 10 years old and they're expected to work with them when all of their history has been an EIBI clients. That is not in scope. You should not be taking on that client without adequate supervision from someone who does work in that age range or bringing in a client um, and asking you to work with them when they have feeding needs and you have no experience in feeding. Why are we setting up individuals to fail? Why would we not be supporting them in these measures? Please look at the NASP guidelines for autism practitioners because I can almost guarantee you that those rates are lower than what you think they are. We should not have 20 clients on our caseload, especially if we don't have a BCABA underneath us to help. Not only for your own level of what you're able to do, but also the impact you're having on your 20 cases. 
There's only so much that you can do in a day. There's only so much you can prioritize. Someone's going to fall on the back burner and that's not doing best by our clients. And that's why we have these guidelines. And you might be wondering, what are these NASP guidelines Jackie keeps referencing? This is the National Autism Service Provider Guidelines. And this is what the BACB defers to when it comes to our rules and expectations for working with children with autism. This is like what is said by the BCBA that we should be following. And my last one here is growth, right? We don't want to be stagnant. We want to keep improving, keep developing, keep learning. So for me, I know we did it in red and green flags in the workplace, but for me, when your workplace wants you to continue your education, when they want to keep providing you with training opportunities, that's a huge green flag. When they want to support you, when you want to go to a conference, they'll pay for part of that CEU, or they want you to start doing research at the clinic. Those are huge green flags because they want you to improve. They want you to grow. They want you to know more. For me, whenever anyone is like not reinforcing these behaviors, it to me feels like, oh, you want to keep them in the dark. Why? Why do you want to keep them in the dark? Because it's working for you right now. Yeah. Just like care about the people who work for you and the people who work with you, I think is my main thing. Too often in a capitalist society, I think we see people as workers and not as humans first. We all know that life is a roller coaster. Um and just take care of the people who are around you. Because if you want your company to be successful, your BCBAs have to be successful. Your RBTs have to be successful for your clients to be successful. And I don't mean successful in like checking off boxes of accomplishments. I mean successful in the sense that you are able to do the best work that you can do because you are supported with resources and empathy to allow you to continue to engage in that work. And on that same note, the people in these positions of power are also not at fault. Like this is a systems issue, even like company owners, like we are not talking about that. There are a lot of times where it's out of their control as well. We just want to bring light to the situation in terms of if there were system changes, then the leadership would need to take that responsibility on and implement them. And if you are a leader listening, a pebble in the water makes a ripple. You know, think of that butterfly effect. You probably engage in the behaviors that you did because you learned that from someone else. So think of the behaviors you're engaging in on the day-to-day -day and think about what are your RBTs learning from you right now, good or bad, that you're modeling. Yeah, and make sure that you're getting the proper rest that you need because it matters Absolutely. for you too. Absolutely. That's the main like heartstring that's pulled for me with BCBAs is I know you're answering emails at home. I know you're not taking a real lunch break. I know you're working on this over the weekend for hours at a time. And that is not fair to you. The same for like CEOs, CFOs, like all, like they need that as well. Like it starts and ends there, unfortunately. Yeah. So as previously stated, right? Engaging in self-care can help in mitigating burnout. So Mary, how are you engaging in self-care this past week? This past week, I have taken advantage of some cooler weather and I've done some lunch car hangouts where I drive to a local park or a view of the water and I park my car, I bring my lunch, I listen to a podcast or an audiobook, and I just have myself a good old relaxing time. It was way more like re-energizing and therapeutic than I thought and I've been wanting to do it for a while. So that is how I'm hydrating myself this week. I love that. Do you still have your Zoom membership? 
I that could not. be a cute place to go have lunch. That would be a really, really cute place to go. Well, I love that. Making little dates for yourself. That's cute. Yeah. How are you staying hydrated this week? So obviously I was editing our previous episodes so that they could launch. Um, and just making sure what we were talking about is what I wanted to put on the internet. You know, uh, Mary does the editing first and then I do a little more predominantly for my own verbal behavior. <laughs> and then we talk about all the MR gossip, mister. Mm-hmm. So when I went home for the holidays, I asked my dad if he knew anything about it. And he like knew the, the first part about the poor joke in the special. Mm-hmm. And then my dad and I just had a full-blown gossip corner where I was like, and did you know about his response to this? <laughs> and he's like, no. And I told him, I'm like, and did you know about this six-year-old? And he's like, no. And I told him, and I'm like, and did you hear about Brooke? And he's like, no. So I told, I like pulled up Trevor Wallace's podcast and I'm like here, obviously Trevor Wallace took this episode down, but I was able to find it because the internet is forever. Right. And I showed my dad like the clip and he was like, why would anyone ever say that about a woman? Why would anyone ever say that about anyone? Who And I was like, this is just filling my cup. Like I was the Grinch. My heart was just growing three sizes, like watching my dad react to all of these things. His first time seeing them and realizing like how deep the iceberg goes was oh, so great because I'm petty. Did you see that Pete Davidson had a Netflix special that came out? No, but that'll be on the list. You need to watch it. And he makes a comment about Mr. No. I was, and the thing is like, I, I'm sure there's like info on it, but I was like, and it, it fits with right now. Like it makes sense. But then I was like, wait, that couldn't have been filmed before all of this happened. Like before Brooke on the podcast. And so I, at least I don't think so, and but I don't know. Like I, I didn't look into it at all, but you have to watch it. You have to listen. It's a very clear line. Like you will not miss it. You have to let me know what you think because I, I love Pete. So I will. I love Pete too. No I really, problems. I didn't realize he had so much hate behind him. I mean, I don't know a lot about him, but I was like, yeah, mm, I think he's funny. A lot of people who were like really pro Ariana became very anti Pete, uh, but I just think he's hilarious. So he's funny. Oh, I do have one more thing to talk about. Another thing that filled my cup going on the same thing with MRT Joe frickin' Coy. We're going to call him JK from now on, because once again, I don't even want to talk about his name. The year that women have had and choose to just insult women um, in jokes and then like doubling down and being like, I didn't write this. My writers wrote this. I'm like, isn't that like a number one rule in yes comedy you that don't you don't sell out your writers? Yeah. And within like 20 seconds. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm learning it's, I think it's very much a fishbowl situation and MR has kind of like made, it makes a little bit more sense when you think about his scenario, but it seems as though gender wise right now in comedy, there is things that are funny and things that are catered towards a women audience and things that are funny and things that are catered toward a male comedian audience. And they are very different and listening to those perspectives of like what they glorify versus what they, what they don't it makes a little bit more sense as to why JK said those things, but it's still like so out of touch, but also that whole community and what they glorify in terms of what they talk about. A lot of people would argue it's out of touch, but that's what makes money in that. Those are the top dogs. So it's just like, it's insane. The Barbie comment, like it's just insane that that is what they are. It's just, 
But what was great, I watched the whole JK thing, was seeing the facial responses from the men in the audience too. Like you pan over to Robert De Niro, he's not happy. No. (laughs) He's not happy. Ryan Gosling, he's not happy. And like all all the men that I saw were giving the same looks that the the women were. So I don't think it's like, I don't think it's all male comedians either. I just think like they're trying to go and have the audience be like younger conservative leaning men who are really firm on those more like traditional values and beliefs. I think they're just trying to cater to that, but it's just so silly because women provide so much money to entertainment sectors. And if you seclude women from your, like (laughs) how many date nights do you think are showing up to an MR comedy show? Mm -hmm. None. Not not many, or at least not many men that I know are just going to be going to a comedy show by themselves or going with a group of guys to go see MR do comedy. Like, it's just not it. Women do those things. It's just so crazy to me that you'd want to burn half of your audience. Um, But on a different note, did you see Jim Gaffigan during the Golden Globes? Okay. Mm -hmm. So Jim Gaffigan is one of my, like a comedian I really enjoy. He normally does like family level humor, but he's opening because this Golden Globes is the first time that comedians were included in awards in the Golden Globes. So he was asked to like introduce that or whatever. And he goes, yeah. And you know, I never thought that I'd be a part of the Hollywood sector or even be here because, you know, um, I'm from like the Midwest. I'm, I don't really fit in with the Hollywood elite. You know, I'm not a pedophile. And I was like, Jim, it was just like such a, I'm like, why didn't Jim host the Golden Globes? Because in his like 30 second lead into announcing the award for the one that the Barbie movie ended up getting, mm-hmm. he did a better, he I laughed more at his jokes than I did at Joe Coy. So I'd kind of love to see more women get into comedy because we're funny. We are yeah. funny. And if these people can get this far and literally not be able to tell, imagine Mary, if you had 10 days to pair like, a three minute monologue with mm-hmm. jokes in it. It had to have been better than that. Yeah. Women in comedy. We love it. Who run the world? Girls. Girls. Woo. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap it up? I'm good. I'm good. And that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to make waves, collect data, and as always, behave yourself. <laughs>